Take your Bibles and turn with me to Jonah. Turn with me to Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3 is a narrative that we will, again, we will get to eventually. In fact, let me just go ahead and tell you to look at your neighbor and announce to them the title of today's message, and that is the second time around. Look at somebody else and say the second time around. Hold on a second. Welcome to installment number three of this series, Fish and Vines. If you've been here, it looks like we're studying the uniqueness of Jonah. However, if you're following along in the story, you realize that Jonah is not really so unique because we're so much like Jonah. So this story is not about the uniqueness of Jonah. It's more about the greatness of God's grace. So can I read to you a scripture verse that we've started with for the last two weeks that really is the, is the foundation of the story of Jonah, even though it was not written for 1,500 years until after Jonah had lived. Can I read you something in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7? 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Here is Peter who's writing this. Understand who Peter is. He was a disciple. Now he's an apostle. He stood beside of Jesus Christ, but yet there was a time in his life that he was so broken. He denied Jesus. He lost everything that he had, but yet he's able to write 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Cast all of your cares upon him because he cares for it does not say cast some of your cares. It does not say cast most of your cares. It does not say cast 99% of your cares. What it says is to cast all of your cares. It is a directive to cast all of your cares because the thing that is weighing you down cannot weigh down God. What you need to do is look at your neighbor and say, God built me to cast and not carry. God built me to cast and not carry. Think about this. This is Peter who is writing this. I don't know if you're going to get ex excited about this, but I'm excited about this. This is Peter who is writing this in the brokenness of life, but yet he looks upon heaven and he realizes, I can cast my cares upon him because he cares for me. If you were here last week, you realize that the word that Peter uses for cast paints this word picture. It is the Greek word epiripto. It means to cast off of you in a violent way. It means to hurl off of your shoulders and place what is on your shoulders that is weighing you down, the baggage, the junk that is weighing you down, to hurl it off of your shoulders and to hurl it on the shoulders of Jesus because he was built to do all of the heavy lifting. Why? Because God gave him so that you wouldn't have to do the heavy lifting and he would. However, you need to understand something. This word epiripto, Rhonda, also paints this image of worship because it also means to cast out a net. When you cast out a net and you violently throw it away from you, your hands are in a worship position. Could Peter be drawing our attention to the fact that worship is the process that God uses to transfer our cares from our shoulders to his? Lord have mercy. Is somebody going to help me up in this place? Could it be that worship is the process that God uses to transfer the cares of this world from our shoulders to his? You see, when you are worshiping someone or something, you are showing value to that someone or something. So when you worship God, you are showing value to who God is rather than worrying over your care. 
And when you show value to who God is, rather than worrying over your care, you're casting upon him what you cannot endure all alone. Guess what happens? I wrote this down. Here's the thought for the day. Once you cast on him, he will cause you to experience what he has designed for you. Did you grab it? Once you cast upon him, he will cause you to experience what he has designed for you. In fact, that is why Peter wrote 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, just a few verses later. Peter writes, and the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, after you have suffered for a little while, will himself restore you. What Peter is saying in his broken state is that brokenness and grace cannot be in the same place. Therefore, freedom and bondage cannot coexist. What you need to understand, what is weighing you down, will never outweigh the grace of God that is at work inside of you. Just, just be seated, but, but, but stay on the edge of your seat. What is the thought again? Here's the thought. Grab this. Once you cast on him, he will cause you to experience what he has designed for you. Now, hang on for a second. Can, can, can I teach for a minute? Can I teach? Grab this. When Peter writes, cast your cares upon him because he cares for you, and the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, after you have suffered for a little while, will himself restore you? The word for restore, Richard, is, is the Greek word katartizo. Katartizo. Don't get caught up in the pronunciation of the word. Get wrapped up in the definition of it. Katartizo means to strengthen. Katartizo means to complete someone. Hold on a second. That means that this verse is the Jerry Maguire verse of the Bible. Somebody look to heaven and say, God, you complete me. I didn't ask for three of you to do it. I asked for all of you to do it. God, you complete me. Say that. But hang on, because there is a better definition than that. The word katartizo is a compound Greek word when added together. It actually means to make one what he ought to be. I don't think you're grabbing what I'm giving to you. You're not, you're not catching what I'm throwing. Because what Peter was saying is cast all of your cares upon him because he cares for you. And the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus after you have suffered for a little while will himself, Catartizo, make you into what you ought to be. God Almighty. Which means that Peter is painting for us this illustration that when you cast your cares upon him, God is carving out what he wants you to experience. Hold on a second. I, I, I wrote it this way. Did, did, oh, you've got it. While you're casting, God is carving out his design for your life. How many of you are glad of that kind of grace? So when I think about that concept, my mind goes to Jonah because now I have a context, if you will, for what's happening in Jonah's life. Because in Jonah chapter 1, the, it says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah and told him to go to Nineveh. Jonah didn't go to Nineveh though, Richie. 
Jonah went down to Joppa and he got on a boat that was headed, headed towards Tarshish, which was in the opposite direction of Nineveh. He gets on the boat, the storm blows up, the crew on the boat, they feel like that Jonah's got something to do with this, and then they realize that the only way that they're going to save their own lives is to cast Jonah overboard. So they cast Jonah overboard, and along comes this great fish, and Jonah is the fish food gulp. And the Bible says that Jonah stays in the belly of this great fish for three days. At the end of the third day, Jonah goes into a worship experience where he begins to cast, if you will, the cares that are so heavy upon him, upon God. In fact, the Bible says that he says to the Lord, Lord, you and you alone are my salvation. There is a moment where he is casting his cares upon God. And in that radical moment, the grace of God comes flooding on the scene and the whale or the fish, whatever you want to call it, vomits him up onto the, onto the dry beach. Now think about this with me for a moment. When you read the story of Jonah in the wrong context, it looks as if this story is about retribution. But no, this story is really about restoration. It looks as if all of this stuff is happening in Jonah's life in order to pay him back. But no, 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 no. All of this stuff is happening in Jonah's life. God is using it in order to bring him back to make him into what he ought to be. Hello? So think about this with me for a moment because when you read this story, it's, it's, it's self-titled Jonah and it looks like this story is about just restoration for Jonah, but it's not. This story is also about restoration for a city called Nineveh that was wicked, that was vile, that was barbaric, that Jonah didn't want to have anything to do with, but yet God saw them and knew their need. So can I read for you some of the narrative and then we'll come back and offer some context. Is that okay? Watch this. Jonah chapter 3 verse 1 says this. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, The second time around. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message that I give to you. Circle verses 1 and 2. Just circle it. Circle it. Highlight it. Do whatever. We're going to come back to it. We're going to spend most of our time right there. Verse 3, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. So this time that Jonah gets the word, the second time around, he has a different reaction than he did the first time around. Verse 4, it says, Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's word reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne. He took off his royal robes. He covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation that he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals herds or flocks taste anything do not let them eat or drink but let the people and the animals be covered with sackcloth let everyone call urgently on God let them give up their evil ways and their violence who knows God may yet relent with compassion and turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish verse 10 when God saw what they did and how they turned from their ways he relented but it's verses 1 and 2 that are of interest. Look at this. Verse 1 says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. 
the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Look at your neighbor and say the second time around. This is of significance. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Think about this with me for a moment. Here's Jonah. There has to be this range of motion of emotions because here this great fish has vomited Jonah out onto this dry beach. He's standing there, if you will, in the intestinal juices of this great fish. Probably looking at all of his parts to make sure all of his parts are there. While on one hand, he wants to thank God for his deliverance. On the other hand, he's wondering if God will ever use him again because of the status of the situation. He's standing on the shore of a beach, not even certain where he is, which way to go, which way left, or which way is right. Where in the world is Nineveh in, 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 in relation to where I am at this moment? He's not sure what to do, but then the grace of God explodes on the scene, and the Bible says the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Lord, have mercy. You're not getting this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. That just means that that grace moment in your life is not a moment that happens just one time in your life. Grace is not an experience that happens just one occasion in your life. But God is a God of second chances, third chances, fourth chances, fifth chances, sixth chances. And you may be saying, God, can I come back? You don't even have to ask that because God is bringing you back. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Lord have mercy. It's a deja vu moment. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time and said, go to the city of Nineveh. The same word that he had heard before, now he's getting it again, this time on a different beach. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. How many of you are thankful for the word of the Lord, the grace of God working out a second time? A third time, a fourth time. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. You know what that tells us? That the word of the Lord over your life has no expiration date. That's for somebody. Here was Jonah in the belly of the great fish, crying out to the Lord, having this worship experience where he's transferring what is weighing him down onto God himself. And at that moment, that grace-filled moment, God showed up and there was this vomiting experience that he was able to live through. He's now on a dry beach, but he realizes, oh, cast my cares upon him because he cares for me and the God of all grace after I've suffered for a little while will himself reach down and restore me, make me into to what I ought to be. Lord, have mercy. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. The word. It's an illustration. This story is an illustration of how God's word works. Romans chapter 10 verse 17 says that faith comes by hearing the message and the message is heard through the word. It's the word of God. The word of God is God's gift his insight, his, his love. It, it's God's instrument to life itself. God's word is not just inspirational or informational. God's word has power. 
God's word is power. In fact, the Bible says that God's word is like rays of sunshine coming from heaven, going to earth, bringing life to earth. God's word is like creation power, if you will, because he can speak to things that are not as though they are. And he can say, let there be, and you will see everything that you see. God's word came to empower you. God's word comes in the form of healing when he told the paralyzed dude to get up and walk. God's word comes in the form of life when he told Mary and Martha that Lazarus is going to live again. God God's word comes in the form of forgiveness when he was hanging on the cross and he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. God's word comes in the form of love because he said Jesus Christ was a gift from heaven for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Can somebody give God praise for that word? And the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. This time it comes as a confirmation of restoration because this story reminds me of another story that takes place on a beach 1,500 years later when the Word himself is standing on a beach looking at Peter who is a disciple who is now fishing and he has a conversation with Peter on that beach, on that shore. The Word Himself. Why? Because the Bible says in John 1 that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us in the form of Jesus. And here is Jesus having a conversation with Peter. The second time around, the same conversation. In fact, let me back up for a minute because you need to grab this. Three and a half years before, Jesus comes to that shore. He sees Peter out on a boat. And he says to Peter, whose name then was Simon, he says, Simon, come and follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. Simon puts everything down, hangs the nets up, puts the boat to the side, follows Jesus for three and a half years. He follows the word for three and a half years. And then just moments before Christ would be crucified, Jesus has the disciples together and he says, I'm about to lay down my life. Peter didn't understand it, and Peter said, no, 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 you are not going to lay down. I won't allow it. Jesus then says to Peter, Peter, you will deny me three times before the rooster even crows. Peter said, I'll never deny you. You will deny me three times before the rooster even crows. They come to arrest Jesus. They look at Peter and say, are you with him? He's like, nope, don't know him. They say, well, hold on a second. You kind of sound like him. I said I don't know him. Then this girl says, hold on a second. Aren't you from the same place that he's from? I ain't never, I am not a follower of Jesus Christ. At that moment, Peter realizes that Jesus is right. Three and a half years he's been living after the word. Now they crucified Jesus. Peter feels dejected, rejected, all alone, broken. The word that was given, I'll make you fishers of men, now cannot be possible because where I am. So Peter does something. He goes back to the only thing that he knew. He, he goes back to what he knew best. He went back and went fishing. 
and he fished all night and he lamented over his problem, his cares, his sorrow, and did not catch one thing. And then the next morning, Jesus comes to that same shore where he gave him that word three and a half years ago. He's having a conversation with Peter, and Peter doesn't even realize that it's Jesus because he's enamored by his problem, his, his surroundings, his situation. And he says, why don't you throw the nets on the right side of the boat? Peter throws the nets on the right side of the boat, and there's too many fish for him to even gather up. At that moment, he realizes that it's Jesus on the shore. He runs to the shore, if you will, just starts swimming to the shore. He gets to the shore. He begins to have this conversation with Jesus, and Jesus now is going to have a conversation of restoration with him because he looks at Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? Agape love, will you surrender your life? Will you lay it all down? Peter said, yeah, I love you, Lord. Phileo, brotherly love. No, 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 Peter, you don't understand. Do you love me And agape love? Are you willing to give it all? Are you willing to lay it all, all down? Peter's like, yeah, Lord, I love you. Phileo love, a brotherly love. What up, homie? (laughs) Jesus, for the third time, says, no, 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 Peter, you don't understand. It's an agape love. Do you love me? At this moment, Peter realizes, oh, hold on a second. I do get it, God. I do, I do, I do. I, I, I love you. And then at that moment, the word of the Lord came the second time, and he said, then, Peter, feed my sheep. It's at that moment. Peter went back to what he thought he knew, which was fishing, but what he found out was that somebody knew him better, and he was about to take him into something that he was supposed to be all alone. That's how Peter can write, cast all of your cares upon him because he cares for you, and the God of all grace, after you've suffered for a little while, will himself make you into what you ought to be. Good Lord, have mercy. Somebody help me preach. Y'all giving me that Baptist clap today. Woo! <laughs> All you Baptists, that's n- there's nothing wrong with that. Y'all just keep on doing that. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. It's all right. N- no emails, please. The word, the word. Here, here, here. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. A lot of you want to hear the word. Give me a word. God, I need a word. Give me a word. Well, if you want a word, why don't you just shut up and listen? Why don't you just shut up and listen? I mean, you're so busy, social media stuff, you know, woo, look at all I'm doing, y'all. It's all good. And every now and then you'll throw up one of those inspirational sayings. Woo, can't touch this. Woo, look, Jesus. Oh, yeah. Come all up in church and you're highlighting stuff in your Bible and it all looks good. Woo, man, you just, you're, that, you're a pro at all that stuff. I mean, you got it all highlighted. But sometimes, listen, can I tell you something? We're, it, we might as well be in the belly of the fish because we're not doing anything with the word that we've already received in the first place. Let me go one step further. Sometimes it's not that we need more word. We need to know more word. Sometimes it's that we need to do something with the word that we already know. You see, our objective should be to take the word that God has given us and place it in front of the people that he has surrounded us with. God is at work all around you. I don't know if you realize this or not, but God is at work all around you. But there are certain things that only you can do for God. That's why he came to Jonah and said, Jonah, 
go to Nineveh and preach the message that I will give to you. Notice something, though, in verse 2. He does not tell Jonah what the message is. That would be a problem for most of us, Rhonda. You want me to go to a place that I don't want to go to, and you won't even tell me what the message is before I get there. You need to tell me. There is a faith aspect to this. When you are, are obedient to do your part, God will always do his. There is a step of faith. There's a faith aspect. You see, I don't know who this is for, but God, the word of the Lord has come to you a second time. It's time for you to heal that relationship. It's time for you to forgive that person. It's time for you to, that business that he's birthed in your heart, it's time for you to begin to act on that. Can I tell you something? The power, hold on a second, the power, God's word has no power in your life until you act upon it. But I have to wonder, though, if sometimes the thing that keeps us from acting upon the word is really the question that Jonah was asking in chapters 1 and 2. And that's the question, how? How? I mean, I could imagine Jonah saying to God, God, how? I, I preach to the people of Israel. They know who you are. They understand my lingo. They understand my accent. They understand who you are. So all I have to do is say the name Yahweh and people want to worship and bow down. But you're sending me to the place called Nineveh and those people are crazy. They don't even know who you are. How am I supposed to preach a message there if they, I don't even know how to do that. Think about this. All throughout the Bible, when God comes and he gives a word, the question many times is how? Like he went to Moses and he said, I want you to go and, and tell the Pharaoh to let my people go. What did Moses say? He comes to Mary and Martha and he says that Lazarus will live again. And what did they say? Does anyone in here ever have or feel like you're in a position to where your responsibility is greater than your experience? And you're like, How? How in the world am I going to raise these crazy teenagers because they're driving me nuts? How in the world am I going to forgive that person because on the inside I'm still angry at that person? How in the world am I going to start that business when I don't even see the provision and you want me to start it? How in the world am I going to become a tither when I feel like I'm broke all of the time? How in the world am I going to be a person of faith when all I can see is fear? How? You see, what I think happened in Jonah's life was he was asking how in chapters 1 and 2. But then he got to the point where he realized it's not about the how. I don't know who this is for, but some of you are asking how. I feel like I'm in this place for the first time and I don't know how to get out of it. I feel like God's wanting me to do this but I don't know how I don't know how to fix this situation I don't know how to get better at work I don't know how to be prosperous in this area well if you're asking how you're asking the wrong question because you don't need to be asking how if you know who it's a little delayed response I think it's because y'all were taking notes that's okay but can I show you something? Look at verses 4 and 5. Verses 4 and 5. Watch this. We've got to move on. Verses 4 and 5. It says, So Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Verse 5. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. 
Hold on a second. Verse 5 says the Ninevites believed. Remember that. But go back to verse 4. It says Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming this. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Eight words. Eight words. He went and he preached a message of eight words. Eight words, and the Bible tells us that they all believed. And the word believed in the Hebrew means that they wholeheartedly accepted God. Historians tell us that there were 600,000 people in this great city. And the Bible tells us that they all believed. It was an eight-word message. God is working in the hearts of the people. You remember I said there are some things that only you can do. And before you're getting there, God is already preparing the hearts of the people around you for the word that God is going to place in you once you step foot in the place that he told you to step in. It was an eight-word sermon. Must have been a well of a sermon. I worked a long time on that. That's all y'all going to give me. <laughs> Some of y'all are like, he crazy. Man. He's insane. It was a eight word, eight words. What does that tell us? When you act, God will bring the harvest. I don't know if you're grabbing this, but you can never be eloquent enough to save someone on your own. The Bible says that salvation is God's and God's alone. It was an eight-word sermon. The, what I'm trying to say to you is this. Your responsibility is to take the message that God has placed within you and get it before the people that are around you. And once they get into the presence of God, he will begin to do what only he can do. I don't know if you're grabbing this, but God is a God of second chances. Are you grabbing hold of what I'm saying? I don't know. Listen, I came today with a word for you. It's not an eight-word message. It's an 11-word message. Cast all of your cares upon him because he cares for you. And then the God of all grace who's called you to his eternal glory after you have suffered for a little while will himself reach down and cause you to be what you ought to be. Somebody ought to be up on your feet giving God a praise because you know that he's looked past you and he still brought you back even though you've had all of those difficulties. And the word of the Lord, and the word of the Lord came the second time because he's a God of second chances, third chances, fourth chances, fifth chances, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth. Everybody on your feet. Catartizo. Cast all of your cares upon him because he cares for you. And the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory, after you suffer for a little while, will himself make you into what you ought to be.